Hi there, Megan Thompson here with Megan Thompson Coaching. And today we're gonna cover supporting your sensitive child who is stuck in the meltdown cycle and whether or not you should start intervening in the school setting. So we're gonna cover the three S's that you need to be paying attention to that will support you in taking action on, on uh, intervening in the school setting if your child is struggling in school. Hello, and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children, stop walking on eggshells, and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling. If you wanna know the answer, you're in the right place. Here at MTC, we've helped parents of sensitive kids and teens break out of that meltdown shutdown cycle in as little as eight weeks. That means that you can support your sensitive child sustainably and consistently when you spend uh, some pretty intense time over the course of two months in, in highlighting your child's needs and systematically breaking out of them. And so let's talk about what those needs are. When your child is stuck in the meltdown cycle, that means that your child is likely hitting, kicking, screaming, throwing things, running away, calling names, um, uh, threatening, okay? Life would be better off without me. Uh, you you hate me, I hate you, I don't love you, you don't love me anymore, I'm a bad kid, okay? All of these statements going on for your sensitive child, which can be very scary. Sensitive teens, on the other hand, might uh, be quitting in their emotional state more. So you might see more isolation or refusal for your teen, preteen, etc. If you're not seeing explosive behavior, then the shutdown behavior is what we what we see for sensitive kids. It's not always the teens though. You can see eight-year-olds, seven-year-olds, 10-year-olds doing this behavior too. So stay tuned, all right? Um, don't think that, they, that this disqualifies you if your seven-year-old is doing more shutdown behavior. Shutdown behavior might be focused on having a screen addiction, uh, difficult to get off the computer or the tablet or the phone. Um, or your, your sensitive teen might be struggling to follow through on any of their academic goals or their uh, sports or athletic goals. And this can lead to feeling totally disconnected to your, your child or teen in, um, in, in even being able to relate to them because they're, it's hard for them to get out of bed. It's hard for them to um, show up to their sports games. It's hard for them to participate in extracurriculars that they've signed up for uh, because they, they have either lost energy or interest, demonstrated lost energy or interest, said they don't care anymore, or are feeling paralyzed uh, emotionally in, in the sense that they don't think that they'll do well, uh, which can lead to perfectionistic paralysis. Uh, or that they're not sure how, the, how to handle, solve, or handle, handle solving problems in those settings. And so then there's analysis paralysis in that. I don't know, what if this happens? How will I solve this problem? What if that problem happens? How will I solve that problem? And all of the what ifs end up delaying your kid getting out the door in the first place. And so they just don't even go. So 
all of these challenges obviously leads to you as a parent being quite exhausted, right? Uh, wondering, especially related to school, and we can cover this in, in, in great detail today, uh, whether or not your, your child is, is struggling to the point where you need to start intervening. You need to have a conversation with the teacher, set up a meeting, even to discuss a 504 or an IEP option. And so let's, let's break down uh, where you as a parent need to be focused if your child is struggling in the school setting. So in the school setting, you might see your child um, having meltdowns uh, or you might see more aggressive behavior that is not to the point where the, the meltdowns are happening, but they might, have, um, they might kick other kids, uh, punch, yell, might have a hard time staying in their seat, have uh, ants in their pants, if you will. Uh, this can be important to notice, and, and it might also be relevant if your child is holding it all in in the school setting and exploding right after school. Um, you might be wondering if you should be having conversations with the teacher more so than just you know getting an update or, or wondering if no news is good news uh, from the teacher from a behavior standpoint and uh, observing how much your child's teacher can really impact uh, your child's behavior and wondering um, what, where, the, where your impact needs to be uh, focused, where your focus needs to be um, for your child's in emotional intensity so that you can make the most impact as well. So um, two-pronged approach here in observing how your child is educated, obviously, uh, and in addition, how your child is learning emotion regulation skills. So if your child is having meltdowns or shutting down, um, you know, might demonstrate, you might see that for your sensitive kid in, in disorganization. They might not be able to share with you what they've learned, um, share with you what their assignments are. They might be telling you they've completed their assignments when they haven't. Um, we, we, we might call this work avoidance where your child is refusing to do homework at home and then panicking that it's not done in the morning and then you're scrambling to get it done in the morning and then they're late for school um, or they're trying to write it down in the bus or whatever. Um, all of these challenges are related to school uh, stress, maybe even school anxiety uh, or just a, a struggle in school setting to manage their emotions even if that's more peer-related than academic-related. And so as a parent, you might be wondering, what do I assess next? You know, what do I, what do I assess first? <laughs> uh, I already uh, am I able to notice my child is struggling. I see these behaviors that I need to uh, curb and, and have my child demonstrate health, healthy and more safe behaviors. Uh, but where do I start? And so it's important for you to, to pay attention to uh, the three pieces where uh, if you're going to highlight talking to the school and um, managing the, the school's uh, performance in some different way than how they typically support children, uh, then, then we wanna focus on the three things that you should be um, assessing on whether or not the educational setting is appropriately meeting your kids' needs. And so three of these, these, these issues that we wanna pay attention to, number one, is whether or not your child's being singled out. So if your child's behavior is um, disruptive to the, to the classroom, or deemed disruptive to the classroom by a teacher, uh, it might be that they are telling you about it, right? If, you're, if it's difficult for your kiddo to um, stay quiet or to uh, leave other children alone, they might be policing other children, telling other kids, hey, you know, um, these are the rules, that's not fair, 
um, and they might try to try to kind of indicate their own awareness of, of morality in this dynamic at the school. So not necessarily disruptive to the point where your child is would be considered from a traditional standpoint misbehaving, uh, but uh, distracting, right? Um, could also be that your child has a very busy body and it's difficult for your child to st sit still. Um, or it get, gets to the point where your child could be disorganized and the teacher is telling you they're not turning in their schoolwork. Um, this could be whether or not they do it with you at home or not, right? So we see parents who have long drawn out homework battles and then come to find out the kid's not turning it in at school. Um, and that's obviously super frustrating or hearing from your child, they didn't have homework. And since, uh, you know, depending on, on kiddo's age, if they're at fourth, fifth, sixth grade by that point, uh, it's your child's job to be keeping track of this. You might not get homework reports um, or support supports in place for your child where your child's homework is is written down from written down from the teacher and so when um when that challenge comes up it'll be important uh for your kid to to be telling you the truth right uh and working with your child on on not only writing down the assignment but also sharing with you that they wrote it down effectively um and and that comes comes into play especially as children age but um, it's important for you, no matter what your child's age, that you have a, a collaborative and truthful and trusting relationship so that they not only are telling you the truth, but also telling you maybe if they're worried about getting the work done and they don't want to do it, or um, they, they're worried that they might not do it well. And so it's hard for them to get started or they're overwhelmed by the assignment or they don't understand the assignment, right? All kinds of factors uh, that your child could be struggling with if they are uh, not sharing with you why they... Um, why you know whether or not they if they're not sharing with you that they have an assignment due and uh, depending on the the teaching style and the age of the child the grade your child is in um, this may or may not be part of the the plan for the teacher to share with you the assignments every day um, or every, even every week and so that level of independence is expected of your kid and so being able to support your kid and noticing um, that they need to to um, uh, meet that expectation or you might need to talk to the teacher about whether or not they can meet that expectation um, is something that you should be focusing on. Now let's pay attention to um, you know S number one. We're going to get uh, a, a little um, uh, clever here with, with the three S's to focus on whether or not your child uh, needs intervention in, in the school setting and Three of them that you should be focusing on is number one is whether or not your child's being singled out. So if your child's behavior is disruptive, as I mentioned, or is um, not showing up according to the norm for expectations, then your child's teacher might be paying attention to that um, differently than they would for the rest of the class. And so it's important for you to pay attention to how frequently this is happening. Okay. Uh, if your child's teacher is struggling with skills and in managing the classroom and your child's behavior seems to be the highlight of, um, of, of how they are trying to manage the classroom by supporting your child um, in an in, in effective way and you feel like your child's being picked on, then clearly you would need to reach out to the teacher and advocate for your child to be managed differently. Um, 
you know, kids can be um, scolded or criticized uh, for the smallest of things with, when a teacher is dysregulated or is just simply missing skills. Um, it's important to notice that, that uh, teachers do not uh, get behavior management education in the majority of master's degree programs, uh, let alone teachers who are working towards their master's and, and start teaching with a bachelor's degree. So um, emotional management, behavior management is simply not in the training realm for the, the teaching profession um, at, a, at a very thorough level. And so when we think about supporting kids in learning and noticing that kids need to be emotionally available, in order to learn, it's important for uh, you to observe whether or not your child's teacher is meeting their needs effectively, meeting the needs of the classroom. It's also important to observe that their ch child's teacher likely has 20, 25, sometimes even 30 kids um, to be, to you know, to be planning a, a lesson for. And so, uh, if your child is is struggling in this setting, then uh, that can that can be quite difficult for not only your child but also the teacher. Uh, to try to manage all uh, everyone at the same time. So observing that is important because when you think about paying attention to whether or not your child is, is singled out, obviously we want to pay attention to this in a way that helps your child feel um, not um, picked on, right? Um, and it's also true that if your child is being picked on, um, some of the, the behavior management strategies that are necessary for your child's teacher to learn and, and to shift out of uh, would, would need to be more systematic than just uh, switching teachers or um, supporting them in, in speaking differently to your child. And so that requires more than just a conversation, right? Um, next is obviously uh, number two is not just being picked on, right? Um, you know, highlighting if you're, you know, the second that your child struggles, uh, your child is, is um, a talk to in the school setting, um, but more overt shaming. So shaming would be uh, experiences of, do you see other kids doing this? Why are you doing this? Um, it would be better if you would do this behavior. See, why can't, you know, you can, you did just fine for Miss Sally Sue in art. Why aren't you um, learning, you know, keeping your butt in your seat when you're, um, you're, when, when you're learning, when we're reading uh, in English class, right? Things of that nature. So criticizing the child, shaming the child, telling the child they should, um, they should be doing better than this. All of that behavior um, is is obviously inappropriate. It's also true that um, uh, some school systems use public shaming to control children's behavior, though it's not effective, right? So what do I mean? Clip systems, um, red light, green light systems, um, color-coded behavior charts uh, that are publicly displayed where children move up and down a, um, a, on a scale. All of that is public shaming. And so your school's behavior management system is perpetuating fear. It's also perpetuating a um, emotional um, uh, stifling experience for your sensitive kid. And so it's important for you as a parent to observe what is contributing to your child's overwhelm. Now, um, that's obviously a bigger undertaking if the behavior management system chosen by your school is not only allowing but even championing a system like this, right? Um, so not everybody knows that, uh, that shaming doesn't teach 
And it's important for you as a parent to notice that if your child's having daily meltdowns, um, you'll need to know what stops the meltdown behavior, what stops the ineffective behavior, and you'll need to be able to powerfully speak to that in order to advocate in a school setting, right? So when we help our clients um, address this in the school setting, we support parents in breaking out of this pattern at home first, because then they have evidence that what they're doing is going to work. And uh, that obviously supports teachers who want to help. I mean, the majority of teachers go into the educational profession to help children learn, right? Um, uh, it's rare these days, especially at how high stress the job is to be a teacher in the first place, um, that teachers go in willy-nilly because there's nothing else to do, right? Uh, they couldn't figure it out or, or whatever, right? Um, got, a, got a degree in who knows what and then just decided to be a teacher. Um, most people don't go into the education profession with with... Uh, without intention because and and most people who stay in the the education profession um, in teaching especially in public school don't stay for long if uh, if they don't feel a passion towards it right because it's very very hard work to do and um, you have to be pretty not only dedicated but also compassionate now teachers can get burnt out which is where we you know where we we're speaking about some of the behaviors uh, that you can see in a, in, a, in settings like this um, because, because of that level of overwhelm. And so it's important for you as a parent to notice uh, how uh, you are supporting your child and you're running the odds. Uh, you're playing to your, your child's success in terms of breaking out of the meltdown cycle. Uh, the meltdown cycle is perpetuated more regularly by a lack of skills and a different and an ineffective relationship, an invalidating relationship actually in the parent-child relationship, not in the school setting. So we see kids change their behavior at school and we see kids more effectively handle um, ineffective support settings in school when they change their relationship with their parents. So you actually build more resilience in your child even if you don't or can't, even if you tried, right? Um, even if you're not able to affect lasting community change in your kid's school. So that's important to observe when we think about um, S number two. S number three is uh, stigmatizing. So, you know, your child is highly sensitive and uh, while we don't want that stigma to protest, per, uh, perpetuate here at MTC, it's our mission to eliminate suicidal thoughts and actions for highly sensitive kids and highly sensitive people around the world. That means that we have to help highly sensitive kids early uh, feel better about themselves and um, help parents of sensitive kids build and foster not only resilience but self-acceptance self in their children. And that in and of itself creates a ripple effect in communities which breaks down the stigma. And our mission has not been completed yet. We've only had a few years under our belt and even starting it. And so knowing that uh, not everybody has broken out of the stigma of thinking that sensitivity is a weakness. Now, sensitivity is an evolutionarily important trait. We need, pe we need people, animals, and insects uh, to be sensitive, to notice small details, to think about things differently, um, to, to observe the world in a more community, global, 
globally oriented way. And that's why the highly sensitive trait has been found in over 100 different species. Uh, we would have um, quote unquote trained it out of ourselves if it wasn't um, necessary, especially, especially when parenting included um, much more corporal punishment, uh, you know, decades ago than it does even now. Um, because if corporal punishment worked, right, we quote unquote train it out through aggression, um, then we wouldn't have sensitive kids anymore, right? Those sensitive kids would have become um, significantly decrepit and uh, wouldn't uh, procreate. So we know that's not true, right? Um, we know that's not true. Um, and we know that uh, highly sensitive kids have been able to survive in, this, in, this, in the human society uh, for centuries. And as a result, uh, it's important for us to observe what helps them thrive, okay? Um, and and this, is, this is the important piece, okay? Because stigma um, for your child, you might, your child might be labeled disruptive. There might even be a mental health label that labels them disruptive. Um, or an IEP label that labels them disturbed. Uh, and so that's important, okay, um, to notice how you're advocating for your child in, uh, in these emotional um, uh, needs so that your child isn't uh, labeled with an ineffective um, category. And so explaining to, to parents and teachers and, and other community members alike about the personality trait is a lot easier to do when you've already broken down the meltdown cycle. When your no child is no longer experiencing the intense emotional distress that they're experiencing because just explaining why your kid is experiencing intense emotional distress um, by saying they're highly sensitive, um, that leads other people to assess, well, what are you doing about it, right? Because that if your child is suffering, um, then me just knowing why they're suffering, that they're highly sensitive without skills, doesn't help me help you, right? So there's still that piece that's very uh, challenging. If you're trying to advocate, my kid's highly sensitive, this is why they're having meltdowns. Um, it puts people whom you're asking for help in a yeah, but um, uh, position. Because uh, if there's no solution that you're, you're adding to that advocacy, to that education component, uh, when you're asking for support, then you're both spinning your wheels. Sure, you understand your child's personality, maybe, um, but if you don't know what helps break the cycle, then uh, then your child will stay with the stigma and it'll be more of a lost cause assessment or, or a label um, that people might even discount. That's not relevant. There's something else going on because um, because there's no awareness from from you being shared to them but what will solve the problem. So this is another reason why when we coach parents who come to us whose kids are significantly struggling at school, uh, we take a two-pronged approach. You have to advocate in the school setting, but you also have to take immediate action at home in order to, to solve this problem. We've helped parents whose kids, even kindergartners, are kicked out of kindergarten, um, kicked out of preschool, daycare setting, etc., um, stay in the one that they're about to get kicked out of um, uh, when they reach out to us. And it's also true that, that uh, not all the parents who contact us, who work with us, whose kids are struggling, um, are struggling to the point where, um, where expulsion is, is around the corner. It might be just that your child is, uh, and I say just not to minimize it, obviously, uh, but to understand that there's a scale here, um, that your child is struggling to the point where your child is um, 
is just refusing to go to school, doesn't want to attend, but ends up going every day for however method you're helping that happen. Um, or um, they, they are miserable on a daily basis. Uh, or as we mentioned earlier here, they're, they're disruptive. And so they might be, be um, uh, you might be getting hints that you should start considering whether or not your kid fits uh, the criteria for ADHD. Um, they, you might be asked to have your child go get evaluated, um, you know, reading between the lines of what people are implying uh, when, they, when they ask for you to go do that. So um, this is important for you to observe, okay? Just like uh, name calling doesn't help anybody, uh, labels without solutions doesn't help your child in breaking out of the pattern. Um, so let's talk about it, okay? Uh, in terms of breaking out of the pattern, your child needs to be able to feel supported at home. Um, when, when we observe that the trans transformation agent, the change agent for sensitive kids and sensitive teens alike, is the parent-child relationship, uh, then you get to decide how much or how little intervention that you start taking on in the school setting at all. Uh, because when your child knows how to regulate themselves, they stop being disruptive. So um, you might not need to worry about changing your child's uh, school setting. You might just decide to um, you know, support your child in, in managing how they are being taught for the next couple of months till school's over, right? Um, you might decide to switch teachers, uh, but not decide to, and advocate for a switching of teachers, uh, but not decide to go to the point where you advocate for the school to change their whole behavior management system. Uh, because perhaps one teacher's personality displays the behavior management system in a different way, um, so much so that while your child simultaneously learning emotional management skills, they can tolerate the use of an ineffective behavior management skill, uh, sorry, system um, in, a, in, a, in a more effective way. It doesn't bother them as much, right? That's resilience. So there are lots of, of different ways to support your child in a school setting that may or may not uh, require you to seek professional support. Um, in the school setting uh, by, by intervening and asking or advocating for professional change. Uh, and the first thing that you need to be doing is changing the relationship you have with your child so that they know how to change their behavior with you. Once they know how to do that, they feel much more powerful changing it with other adults. So um, that's important. So if you're seeing consistent meltdowns, you're seeing consistent shutdowns, uh, then you are the one who needs to be focusing on this with your child first. Uh, it's in, and um, and then you're, then it's important to highlight any other professionals involved, any other adults involved in, in these relationships. Now, uh, you heard me speak specifically about children who are being singled out, who are children who are being, um, picked on both intentionally or automatically, unintentionally, etc. Um, because that's the majority of the, the history that we hear. Uh, from, from our clients. Um, it's just a generally unpleasant relationship in the school setting. And some of that is due to lack of education of the, of the school provider, uh, the teacher, um, or the principal, or you know the school system in general, um, rather than malicious intent. So obviously, if, if your child's being maliciously in, um, uh, mistreated, that would, that would require a meeting directly with, with the teacher's supervisor, principal, et cetera, 
um, contact with the school board. Um, and it's also true that most kids who are struggling in school aren't being directly targeted by their teachers. Um, I'm not here, you know, this, this, this message here is not to vilify teachers. Um, you might've heard me say this before, 70% of the families that we work with, at least one parent works in the helping profession. We work with a ton of teachers who just don't, never learned any of this. They won't, you know, they they end up taking some of these skills into their own classrooms um, because it's, it's something that, that you, you can't unlearn and you realize it's helpful for all children. Um, and so teachers aren't to blame here in this, in this dynamic, right? And so what's great about that is that you as a parent have much more power in this experience than you might think you do. Now, if your child's struggling in school, you might feel like you have to defer to the school uh, or you might feel like this is out of your kid's hands or out of your hands, right? Um, out of your hands more often than out of your kid's hands because your child is a child. Um, but that's not true. Highly sensitive kids change their behavior through their relationship with their, with their parents. Highly sensitive kids who don't have skills to manage their emotions. If your kid's having meltdowns, they don't have skills to manage their emotions. Um, once children build those skills, they then learn to generalize those skills. The concept of generalization means that you can take the skill and put it into place in any situation. Okay. So a skill set like being able to um, hit a ball with a tennis racket in the center of the tennis racket. Um, I don't know why I picked tennis. I haven't played tennis in like since fifth grade. <laughs> Probably should have picked soccer, whatever. So, you know, that's a skill, right? Be able to consistently nail the, um, the, the tennis ball in the middle of the tennis racket. So then you have more control, right? over where, where you're hitting it. Because if you can hit the tennis racket at an angle um, and you get the ball in the center of your racket, then, um, then you can control that it's gonna go down faster over the net than if it's gonna go wide out. Um, you know, if you're just whacking it uh, far, you're likely gonna be um, uh, you know, getting it out of bounds quickly. So uh, that skill, right? Being able to hit the racket, hit the ball with the racket in the right spot um, is something that you can generalize no matter where you are on the court. Okay. So you might be up on the court or like, uh, closer to the net. You might be further back. You might need to stretch. Uh, you might need to, um, get down low and bend down. Those are generalizations of the actual skill, which is hitting, you know, getting the ball to hit, um, the middle of your racket and you're know, aiming. Okay. So, that's what I'm talking about when your kid has a skill, a skill to, to manage their emotions, like um, noticing where their feelings feel, what feelings they feel uh, on, a, on a regular basis, how big they are, um, where they, they emotionally experience this in their body, etc. cetera. Um, all of those um, skills, right, can be used in any setting, whether they're in the playground on, um, at recess, whether they are in the classroom, whether they're in art class versus English class, whether they are at home, right? Children feel capable of generalizing their skills and demonstrating that generalization when they learn the skills at home. So this is really important because the, the, the availability for you to teach those skills 
requires a foundation. You need to be able to teach them playfully. You need to be able to teach them from a place of noticing what your kid's capable of, which means if you've tried teaching these skills before uh, and, and hasn't been successful, that means that you need to change the way that you think about your child because it will be successful with the right strategy rather than just throwing things at the wall to see what sticks. And um, of course, that's not going to work, right? Like I tell my clients all the time, you follow a recipe and you put things in the wrong order. You put the eggs on last in the brownie recipe, you're going to end up with salmonella every time. Does it mean that your brownie shouldn't include eggs? No. Now, <laughs> if you have an allergy to eggs and you're substituting them with applesauce, you'll have the same problem if you put the applesauce on last, right? Um, so you're not going to get salmonella, but you're not going to get good brownies either, right? So, so the eggs need to be in a certain order. Um, and that's what we talk about in terms of the difference between a strategy and a tactic. A tactic is teaching your kid to take deep breaths. You know that doesn't work. <laughs> that is not working in your household likely uh, because the strategy is ineffective. Human beings need to be able to take deep breaths. That is an exceptionally calming experience when we take deep breaths. But highly sensitive kids aren't taking deep breaths regularly when they need to in any setting in their life because the foundational skills are not being taught and because the, highly, because the experience of their relationship with you is struggling right now. And again, that's only because there's a mismatch in parenting. It's not because you're broken. It's not because your kid is broken. It's not because the, that you're, you know, that you're a bad parent or that they're a bad kid, right? Uh, it's that the skills aren't being taught in the same and the, the most appropriate strategy. Here at MTC, we've nailed down that strategy. We know how to do it. It works every single time. When families do the work, they eliminate daily meltdowns. We, that's why we have a 98.9% .9 success rate because everybody does the work except for that 1%. Um, and I'm happy with those results. And I hope, you know, in, in terms of your success, when you commit to solving this problem, um, those are pretty high odds, right? Because if you want to break out of the pattern, you got to do the work to break out of the pattern. That's a no brainer. So when we think about being able to do that consistently, what do you need to do when you eliminate those melt those daily meltdowns, um, breaking out of that pattern, having meltdown free days, meltdown free weeks. That's what the pattern breaking out. What I mean by that. Um, so that's how you can measure your success. You need to be able to feel like you can do that repeatedly. That means that you need to be able to have a system to assess ineffective behavior. So if your kid stops hitting and then they start yelling, you need to know what to do in both scenarios. Because if you're trying to solve a problem with a different strategy, regardless of the behavior, it's not going to work. So you'll feel defeated and frustrated. And like the problem is, is just, you know, the target's always moving and that's not, um, that's not effective in breaking out of the meltdown cycle consistently because if you're frustrated and you're trying to teach your kid, they're not going to learn from you. So how do we break out of this pattern consistently? You need to be able to do this playfully without shame, right? And, uh, that requires you to have support as a parent. You need somebody in your corner who could show you how to do it well and, uh, consistently and effectively. And in order to do that consistently and effectively, you need to troubleshoot. You need to say, hey, did I do it right? This is how this went, or this is how I'm gonna do it. Does that make sense, right? You need a sounding board. That requires professional support. We're happy to be that professional support if we are a fit. I don't know if we are a fit. We have to have a conversation about it. That conversation could be free. It is free, but it can be available to you and, and whether or not we're gonna, we're gonna work together is, is, is the can be part, is, is the could be part, possible part. 
uh, we have to have a conversation about where your family is struggling, what your family's goals are, what your goals are for your particular child, and how that impacts the entire family dynamic. And uh, if, if what we do would help you get there, then we tell you exactly how that works on that same phone call. Uh, if I feel like something that would be more appropriate uh, is where your family needs to go, then you would need to uh, have a conversation with my team and we'd talk about that instead. So we wouldn't even talk about what we do here at MTC and how it would fit your family if your family doesn't need that particular service. Um, because why waste anybody's time doing that, right? Uh, let's point you in the right direction if it's not with us. I'm happy to do that. Our, my team is happy to do that. And uh, we're available to have that conversation with you now. Conversation's free and uh, has the power to change your whole life because you have the ability to uh, to make, make changes right away on that same day. And uh, being able to do that consistently is something that obviously will help you change the whole family dynamic. That's what we're here for. So we're happy to have that conversation with you. Looking forward to it. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for joining me on this episode of How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. We release a brand new episode every week, so be sure to click subscribe. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a fit to work with us at MTC, here's what I want you to do next. Head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call and book an appointment with our team. We'll get on the phone for about 60 minutes and we'll get you clarity on where you're stuck in parenting your sensitive child or teen what your goals are for supporting your child's development. And if we can help you, we'll get you started on knowing exactly what to do to eliminate that meltdown cycle. Eliminating the daily meltdown cycle does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. And we've helped hundreds of clients from all over the world end that cycle in as little as eight weeks. So to see if we can help you do the same, head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call. I'm Megan Thompson. And we look forward to speaking to you soon.